0: You're listening to the Nuff Said Podcast, real strategies for customer success.
1: Hey everyone, Chris and Nick here, co-founders of Nuff Said. And today on the Nuff Said Podcast, we asked Kelly from Gainsight how she grew from a
0: CSM to a CCO in four years. And here's what we learned. There's three things. First, build strong relationships outside of CS. Second is level up your sales and finance skills. And then third is you need to go out and proactively solve the most important problems for your business. That's
2: the TLDR. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. I'm Kelly Capote, Chief Customer Officer at Gainsight. For those of you who are not familiar with Gainsight, I hope you are. a customer success management platform and really excited for for the dialogue and conversation here today.
1: You started as an enterprise DSM at Gainsight in 2017. And now, only four years later, you're the CCO of the most well-known customer success software company on the planet. So can you talk about how did
2: that happen? (laughs) Yeah, you're not the first person to kind of be like, what the heck? And how did this happen? And how did you get there? So I'll start by saying it's certainly been a fun, fast and furious journey uh, with tons of professional growth and learnings along the way. As you alluded to, been at Gainsight four and a half years, came in as an enterprise CSM. I managed a few of our largest, most strategic enterprise customers at the time. Previous to coming to Gainsight, I will note that I was in a people management capacity leading teams, was really kind of geeking out behind the scenes on all things customer success. And I was like, this makes so much sense, both from a business perspective with the massive shift to to the SaaS you know, recurring subscription model. And then just where my energies and my strengths slide in terms of working with customers and constantly challenging you know, them to, to achieve their next level of desired outcomes. So at that point in time, I had two young daughters and I was like, you know what, I think it'll be good for me to kind of like reground myself in an IC role for a little bit. I thought I was going to take a breath of fresh air. Quickly, I found myself gravitating right back to people management. Certainly, I will say timing was on my side. We hit a rapid clip of growth in terms of building out our CSM organization. It was super small and mean and mighty when I joined four and a half years ago. I had the opportunity to help build out you know, a few of our strategic enterprise teams, then led all of enterprise customer success. We used to kind of be a two-headed monster with one leader over enterprise and one leader it was bifurcated with one leader over SMB we streamlined the org structure, we brought CS operations into the remit, in which then I stepped up into the VP capacity and kind of led the global CSM organization. And then ultimately, I guess, gosh, it's been five months now, which is crazy. It feels like a month and a year all at the same time. had the the blessing to really step into the the CCO role, into the very big shoes of our former CCO, who I know you've spoken with, Ashwin, who is near and dear to my heart, and now kind of, you know, extend over the the broader post sales. Organization, So I'm happy to talk a little bit about maybe how, and, you know, just some self-reflection I've had, if that would be helpful. But to your point, it's certainly, I pinch myself sometimes when I wake up, I'm like, oh my goodness, this was everything I dreamed of and more. But I certainly, you know, in that same token, know that it's a large responsibility. I think not only to gain sight, but to the broader space of customer success. And that's what keeps me energized day in and day out.
1: Yeah, congratulations! Picking a, a low responsibility role with two young kids at home.
2: <laughs> they're a little bit older now, so they're, they're much more independent. Um, seven and nine—not that they're super old—but they've learned to like get themselves lunch and pretty much fend for themselves. Crazy enough, school starts back next week too, which will probably be good to give them some structure again while mom and dad work.
0: Let well, to speak for everybody in the world and ask, "Yes, how?" <laughs> and are there any specific learnings that we can all take away for that meteoric rise?
2: Yeah, sure. So I'll share three or four things that I think come to mind the most. Ironically, I host a CCO Fireside chat at Gainsite whenever we have new gainsters, as we call it, join the company. It's, it's one of the most common questions um, that they ask me is like, tell me how you did this. I want to learn so I can kind of, you know, pave a similar path. And I usually point back to three things. So number one, don't underestimate the power of cross functional relationships from day one in your career, whether it's a CSM or whatever role it may be. Like I can think back to the early days, one customer situation in particular, where I was forced into kind of a tiger team approach where we all rallied around it. But some of those relationships I instilled with product and, you know, a sales counterpart who then went on to become our CRO, those paid off in dividends over the course of my career. And I know that they were huge advocates for me internally, especially at the executive level, as we all kind of rose together. And I think it speaks to, and when you think of a, a future VP of CS or CCO, it's absolutely someone who can really, you know, rally around the, the notion of cross-functional collaboration. So I think that's, that's the first one. The second one is just a bias for action. I like to call it bulldog mentality. And I think you can kind of slice it two ways, both from an internal perspective and then also from an external perspective. So a few examples of this when I think back is... Really just an eye for process optimization was probably one of the key differentiators, I'd say, in my career, maybe compared to peers. And not just saying, hey, this little thing over here, it's not working, but more so going and doing something about it and taking the ownership and initiative to constantly drive organizational progress, which not only like benefits or some self-you know interest there, it's going to help you, but more importantly, it's going to help the broader good of the CSM team and the company. So Things such as I, I crafted our first like true legitimate onboarding doc and process for the CSMs. I was like, "What is this EBR template?" Like I, you know, reimagined our EBR templates, our chair sides templates, restructured some of the KPIs. I think one of the biggest things, you know, stepping into the VP of success role is we had some high level metrics, but getting that operating rhythm in place. I think some of this was probably my sales. From my sales days and how that same sort of rigor carried over to success, really by like, you know, getting a more granular view of metrics from an overall perspective, a segment perspective, breaking them out, sharing them out regularly. So really just constantly driving towards operational excellence from an internal perspective I think is what you know potentially got some organizational attention, and then from a customer customer facing perspective, I think that that same bias reaction holds true. Your best and greatest CSMs who can then you know continue on down a leadership path are those that constantly are challenging and pushing their customers up the maturity curve. So they're not good with, with mediocrity. They truly embrace being the biggest advocate for our customers and infusing that customer centricity you know, across the organizational to their leadership teams, really having that share of voice you know, with, with always the right intentions to, to move things forward. And last but not least, I like to call it adaptability quotient. So we often like talk about IQ and EQ, but I think especially in the world of customer success, we can all agree it's like a roller coaster ride. Every day is different. You don't know what's gonna come, you know, out of left field, maybe 30 minutes from now. And there's the good, the bad, the ugly, and every emotion in between. So truly being able to kind of keep and retain that even keel mindset and, and just say, okay, what's the next best thing that I control? and What am I gonna go do about this? Rather than riding the emotional highs and lows, I think bodes very well from a CSM perspective, but it increasingly becomes that much more important if you wanna really thrive in a CS leadership role. So that was an earful, but those are sort of the, the big three, I think that that stand out to me.
1: One thing that you didn't call out that I thought you were gonna call out <laughs> Was your background in sales. And I'm curious if your understanding of and comfort with carrying a bag and the pressure of carrying a bag and pushing forward deals and understanding objections, how much that has helped you become the top executive. Uh, I suspect it was going to be very influential, but you didn't mention it.
2: So I touched on it a little bit. You might've missed it. I think I, I alluded to it in the operational rigor perspective. I think from a metric tracking perspective and just really instilling that ownership and ac- accountability mentality, it was something quite frankly, that we didn't really do well. And I think it became, I think it was much more natural to me because of my sales background, but I'm, I'm glad you bring it up, Chris, because I, I think it's, I think it's something that we don't talk about enough. And I believe it actually had an immense impact in terms of my ability to thrive as a CS leader for a few different reasons. First of all, I hate the fact that like, I think something I want to challenge CS leaders around is this, there's this common kind of stigma or notion out there like that sales and CS are in like opposition of one another. And I think if we really embrace what customer success means at its core and that it's a growth engine for the business, and we're all orienting around this north star metric of net retention rate then cs is just really a continue it's a it's a continuous sales motion of the original deal that we need to prove out value time and time again so i think the two are very connected and i think we're going to start to see that show up in the future and i think some of those core fundamental skill sets, like challenger mentality. Like I read that book, we went through a training with it in my days at ADP. I've done so much objection handling, value proposition. I think even some negotiation skills, presentation skills, those things are so, so, so crucial in the world of CSMs. And we're even investing in some, you know, soft skill training courses and things that sometimes you would see show up in sales that are just as meaningful, um, if not more to the CSM team. So, Well noted, and I think it's a really good good point to underscore.
0: That sounds like the skill side of things that you need to execute. I find that you know, I think of a business like a target, and sometimes we're on the outer rings at especially at the lower level, CSM or just working in a team. Yeah. How do you figure out what the target is for the business and what the biggest problem is to solve? Do you go straight to Nick, straight to the CEO? Like how do you navigate internally and say, I want to go solve that problem? And that's important.
2: Yeah. So I I think there's a few components probably to unpack to this question. I mean, first and foremost, we've done a pretty good job at Gainsight of making sure that everything that the disparate team, like starting from at the highest level of the company and connecting and cascading that down to the functions and then the individuals, there's got to be some type of connective tissue there. So as a company, we've created a one-page strategic plan, which really synthesizes in a very succinct way, like what is our mission? What are we trying to do? And then what are the most critical initiatives that we're going to focus on from a company perspective to drive these things forward. And then that gets cascaded down to the functions, the individuals, et cetera. So that's kind of the backbone of what everyone uses, at least as a starting point. And then there's other, you know, I think listening posts and key data points that we need to think about. So certainly, especially in the world of customer success, I'm constantly looking at you know what are the headwinds what are the tailwinds that we're seeing you know digging deep into our churn analysis our expansion analysis what's working what's not and in many cases that sort of informs what we need to go do i will tell you for me personally success in my role as cco right now is really solving more of the cross functional types of things so one of the biggest you know things that i'm Seeking out to go do is how can Gainsight be world class when it comes to product and CS collaboration? At the end of the day, I think there's so much opportunity there within businesses to tighten up the convergence of those teams and inject more of the voice of the customer back to the products, have shared metrics. So we're doing a few a few few initiatives around that right now, and then similarly with marketing and sales. So. I feel like I'm the ultimate uh, responsible party, if you will, for being the learning engine. That's that's how I like to think about it. I think as CCO, you're really responsible for being the learning engine of the business and making sure everyone has a well-rounded view of what's truly happening, since we're so close to it, and injecting customer centricity, you know, within the executive team, within the board, and really across the company.
1: You know, oftentimes when a new investor comes into the company in this in in gainsight's case was it was vista the way the conversation often goes is okay the the current executive team did a fantastic job getting us here but is this the team that we need to drive us for the next three years forward into realms that they haven't seen before so who do you bet on do you bet on the existing team or do you bring in new talent and somehow you were able to convince Nick and the team at Vista that you are the right person to bet on for the next several years of the company's growth. So how do you make that case to someone whose natural bias is probably, I'm going to reduce risk and bring in new talent that's done this before?
2: Yeah, it's this is a fun question. And you're right. I mean, it's a pivotal decision. And I think specifically in my case, we were pretty early days with Vista leadership. So I didn't have a big runway necessarily. I've had some conversations, you know, built some relationships, but there's not a lot of tangible, you know, outcomes at that point in time from a historical perspective to go to go off on. So I think it's a few things, a, like I encourage everyone that's listening to constantly be advocating for yourself and you, you need to bring a lot of confidence to that conversation. So I know that sounds trivial, but I think, I think it goes really far. And even in my conversations with Nick and stuff, sort of after decisions were made, he loved that was feedback he gave me. He's like, Kelly, you had so much conviction and he didn't ask for it, but I came with a plan, like always come with more. It shows the level of professionalism. It shows your passion and it shows your ability to think strategically about the business. So number one, confidence. Number two, you need to be able to prove out like a, what you've already done. So that's why I think having that, that operating rhythm becomes important. And I had clear data points in terms of, hey, we've taken A from, you know, from A to B to B to C. And I think Nick and the team already had some level of belief and trust in me. And then, but, but more importantly, you need to be very crisp in terms of crafting a plan to get there. So I was very specific, like, here's where we're at today. Here's where I know kind of SWOT analysis of what we need to do. And then I built a bridge to where we want to be from a retention gross, you know, both 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 a gross and net retention perspective and was very clear and intentional about how we were going to get there. I will also say that I think this is where as a leader, the human first piece can come into play and people don't appreciate it. I think followership is huge. That's something I believe hopefully my team agrees with me was sort of like a check in in the right direction for me as part of the decision making. A there's just a lot of institutional knowledge I have that I think would be time lost if there was a kind of changing of the guards. But B from like a teammate perspective, we've built a really great culture that's really coalesced in the CS side and I think There would have been more sort of downstream impacts from an attrition perspective, confidence, if they were to change, you know, kind of the the senior leadership level. And I think I do believe that went into the decision making as well. So there's the business side, but there's the human side, too. And I think that's why we really got to invest in our teams from every level up. And then we're kind of this unified front that's really hard to to break down.
1: I'm thinking of a couple of VPs at relatively large companies and they're trying to figure out what is different between what I'm doing as a VP and what the CCO does. Yep. So can you talk, cause you've lived both roles. So what is actually the difference between the two?
2: So I'll kind of, there's like two different ways I think I can describe it. So one sort of framework that I even use with my leadership team a lot, like it comes up just in coaching conversations is there's this notion of As a leader, I call it managing down, managing up and managing sideways. And as you go up that ladder, all three of them are always important, but the distribution of those three becomes different. So in my role as CCO versus VP, it's a lot more of managing sideways and and up versus managing down. Now you have to empower those below you and make sure you have the right people in the role that. You know we're aligned to the right charter and drive accountability. But increasingly, as you, I think you shift, you have to really be able to manage up and sideways more. I think to get a little bit more tactical about it, I think some of the key differentiators is number one. I mean, this is the obvious one. Obviously, the charter is just much bigger. You can't just be so deep in one thing like the CSM organization. You need to know enough to be dangerous and effective across multiple post-sales teams. So having the right I think structure in your day and the right, you know, kind of frameworks and metrics becomes really, really important. One of the biggest ones though, is we always like, I like to think about things across like investor success, company success, and teammate success. And I think that investor success hat really shows up when you jump from VP to CCO. A, you've got to understand the financial side of the business more. And if you're not good at that, or you don't understand it, I encourage VPs to go learn about it. I was fortunate enough that like, I think Asher and my former boss did a great job of slowly handing over those responsibilities, like building the board decks, presenting to the board. I was part of our due diligence cycle with Vista. So even challenging your leadership team to let you do more and put yourself in those situations so that you build confidence. But B, I think, you know, going back to your former question, I had done a lot of those things. And that's actually one of the tactics I used to present to Nick when we were kind of having the conversation. I said, hey, here's, here was Oshman's OPSP. I'm already doing or touching, and I kind of size them up these three things naturally I'm not doing this, but here's how I would go attack it. So the more you can immerse yourselves in those things sooner than later, especially the strategic thinking types of things, I think those are the most critical ones. And then the last one is just being able to influence and I think go wider in the organization, like I said, with product and sales and success. So if you can start to take on kind of mini initiatives around those, I think that that will bode really well because that's ultimately what the cornerstone of the, the CCO role is about.
0: And that's it for this week's episode of Nuff Said. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, head over to your podcast platform of choice and make sure you're subscribed. And tune in next week for more real customer success strategies. Nuff Said.